Welcome back to another episode of Public Problems. I'm your host, Justin Bullock. In this episode, we talk about the problem of human trafficking. Sadly, this remains a problem throughout the world and even here in the United States. I hope you find this conversation informative and it reminds you of the importance of continuing to tackle this issue. Remember, the next episode will be live in two weeks on April 6th. And also, I'll be hosting a Facebook Live conversation over on the PMRA Facebook page with Nathan Favero. We'll be chatting with Tina Nabachi. And you can join us there live on March 30th at 3 p.m. Eastern. So I hope you'll consider joining us for that conversation as well. Thanks again, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to another episode of Public Problems. Today we're going to be talking about human human trafficking, another uplifting topic. Um, today I am with some students from the Bush School of Government and Public Service at Texas A&M. They are each uh, master's in public service and in administration students. And they worked on uh, a report for one of their courses with me on human trafficking. And they identified this as a major public issue walked through some of the history of it, um, kind of laid out where it is now and some solutions, some potential solutions for mitigating this problem. And so what I'd like to do is like to give the group members an opportunity to introduce themselves. You're going to be hearing from a number of voices again today. Um, so try not try to let that not be too distracting for you. And so they'll uh, take a moment, to introduce themselves, and then uh, talk a little bit about what uh, what made this fairly um, sad topic interesting to them? I'm Madeline Shilton. I'm Jonathan Slater. I'm Paula Martinez. And I'm Sam Schmitz. I'm Emily Hall. Annette Mackey. And I'm Neil Chappie. All right. Thanks. And thanks for joining me today. I appreciate you letting me talk with you about your work. Um, so what, uh, what drew this group to this subject? You were able to pick anything you wanted. And so why human trafficking? I think that we... Um, have different reasons why we kind of get drawn to the issue and issues in general. I know like for me, I see human trafficking as a mix of the good and the bad. The bad in the sense that we have a real terrible problem in the world that needs a solution. But on the positive side, I see people working together. Like you can see uh, certain legislation like Diane Feinstein, a Democrat from California, co-sponsoring co a bill that Senator Ted Cruz is. I mean, in, like, in what universe would that be? Yeah, yeah. But in human trafficking. Yeah, yeah, some pretty wide bipartisan support. Yeah. yeah. Another part of why this was so interesting is that it is a problem in the United States and specifically in Texas, but it is the scale and scope of this problem is huge. It reaches international borders. Um, and it's not just a problem here in Texas and in our state, but all over the world. Yeah, I think that's something we'll probably get to is the prevalence of it in Texas. But it's also, um, it's, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned from the outset, it's not just a Texas problem, Gloria, but it's also just not a not a Texas problem, right? Or not a U.S. problem. This is a serious problem here as well. So what, what do you mean by um, human trafficking? Okay, so the U.S. Department of Homeland Security Blue Campaign and the United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime define human trafficking as modern-day slavery involving the use of force, fraud, cohesion to obtain some type of labor or sex. Human trafficking involves recruitment, transportation, transfer, harboring, or receipt of persons by means of threat, use of force, cohesion, abduction, fraud, deception, abuse of power, position of vulnerability, giving or receiving payments or benefits to achieve control over another person for the purpose of exploitation. Exploitation includes, but is not limited to, sexual, forced labor or services, slavery or practices similar to slavery, servitude or removal of organs, and the efforts to combat human trafficking include governments on a local, state, and federal level, international organizations such as the United Nations, international non-government organizations, Nonprofit organizations and associations, as well as concerned citizens. So, when you, we're talking about human trafficking, so when I, before looking through your report, when I thought of human trafficking, um, slavery wasn't what came to mind. What came to my mind was um, sex trafficking, is the one that you sort of read about in the news and hear about. And so, but what we're what we're talking about here is much broader than that. I mean, it's a whole array of forced uh, activity. 
um, and exploitation of humans across an array. It can be forced labor. It can be forced sexual exploitation. Um, and so um, it's not just uh, uh, forced sexual trafficking. It's much broader than that. And is it um, – so how um, – do we have any good data? My guess is uh, given that this is illegal activity – that the data is not so good, but do we have any data on how prevalent this is um, um, in the U.S. compared to other places or in Texas compared to other places, or is that level of data even available? We do, and so let me throw some numbers at you. And, and we keep calling this a problem, but in, in fact, it's a human rights violation, right? So mm -hmm. that, that's why it, it brings about a lot of passion. Um, the other piece is that, you know, we want to we talk about how what I've seen in some of the data was that it's it's it's, it's a problem that, that is hard to solve and almost impossible to solve, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's why we came at it through that we think that it can at least be partially resolved or entirely resolved through awareness, education, and intervention, right? Mm -hmm. But some of the numbers were pretty staggering. This is a $9.4 billion industry in the United States. Goodness. That's huge. Yeah. Um, a $30 billion industry worldwide. Man. And so, so the U.S. is a big player then in terms of a percentage of the dollars anyways. A, a huge player and over 5,500 cases reported each year just in the United States. Goodness. And this affects, um, you know, unfortunately, 29% of the victims are children under mm -hmm. the age of 18 years old. Mm -hmm. uh, and a large portion, 55% of the victims are women. I'm glad that you highlighted also that it's, it's not just... Um, a problem. I mean, it's clearly a problem, but it's a it's a basic denial of personhood. I mean, it's one of the most basic human rights that we think people should have is freedom to kind of live their life with and make choices for themselves. Absolutely. And human trafficking, human, the the victims of human trafficking are completely denied that basic right to decide how they want to live their life. Um, at, at at a and, and to your point, often as children, right? I mean, it's just. It's just awful to think about. Um, we, you mentioned something too as well that I wanted to touch on, which is this is something that um, has been with us as long as we've existed as humans, right? And so it, did you cover any kind of the history of this either in the U.S. or uh, yeah, or more broadly to kind of give us a little bit of how has this persisted over over time and what that looks like? So we specifically, because we specific, uh, specifically look at the U.S., we only look at the U.S. level. Mm -hmm. And the earliest starting point, in my opinion, would be the uh, Emancipation Pro uh, Proclamation of 1863, when uh, President Lincoln abolished slavery pretty much, even though technically he only abolished it in the North because the states who that uh, the only freed slaves in the states that succeeded from the Union. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> yeah, and after that, there was not a whole lot. There was uh, worth mentioning maybe the Men Act in 1910 that banned the transportation of human beings across the United States as well as uh, prostitution. Um, so that doesn't, uh, that didn't prevent uh, indentured servitude from happening, which pretty much means that, uh, that you have so much debt to a certain person that you, that you basically become, become their work slave. Mm -hmm. slave yeah, I didn't even think seas. about sort of um, in, indentured servitude financially as well mm -hmm. as, a, as a form of this, which we, I don't know that we'll spend time a lot talking about, but this potentially um, broadens the scope even more when you think about people who don't have a lot of choices mm -hmm. uh, because of the amount of debt, for example, they have. It. Some of that maybe was uh, not always involuntary, and so we'd have to think through how to think about that along with maybe more involuntary actions. Um, but so, um, so it, you mentioned Emancipation Proclamation. I mean, in the U.S. history. Slavery goes back to the very beginning, right, very of the U.S. history. And so the Emancipation Proclamation is the first attempt to kind of start to mitigate some of that at like a, at a large level. But the problem in the U.S. goes back from the very sort of first settlers. Is that, I mean, that's my understanding, right? Yeah, it's, the, it's a cultural thing. Yeah. Uh, I was just going to add like, because uh, it's the transatlantic slave movement, like it took place between the 16th to 19th centuries and... Also, including the United States as well as the rest of the world during that time, there's about 12 million people that were sold into slavery during that time. And to give you kind of like an idea of like values in today's dollars, in about the 1850s, a, a slave would sell for as high 
as $40,000. So it's very much seen as, you know, an economic decision going into this. So this is a, a little off topic, but I'm a little curious as to what you think about this. One uh, conversation I've had recently, we, we, talk, we were talking about um, mass incarceration being an issue in the U.S. So before I go here, I recognize this is a little off topic, but I'm curious what your thoughts is, given how we define human trafficking as being forced kind of servitude and forced labor. Um, when, when you come across stuff talking about human trafficking, is, is prison, um, uh, from being in prison for a result of a crime ever sort of included as part of this? Because it's forced in that way, even though it's response to a crime. I'm just curious. I mean, it's sort of a little off topic, but is jail time considered part of this? And we're talking about how how broadly to define this. Clarifying question. Do you mean like as far as the U.S. setting or international? Setting? Like in the U.S. setting, we're talking specifically about U.S. Because one of the comments about mass incarceration is that it's sort of a modern day form of slavery, and so that's a term people use when talking about mass incarceration. And so, given that we started with the modern day slavery label. I was just curious if that came up uh, in any of the work you encountered, but it doesn't sound like it. It broadens yeah. the scope a little too much, I would huh? think, because it's you actually get punished for something. I mean, it's, it's debatable if that's like an applicable punishment, mm -hmm. but so it's different than like just being forced to work against your will without having done anything, especially when it comes to children. Yeah, I mean, I I think there are differences. I was just wondering how you thought of them. It's clear to me that involuntary servitude from something that as a child that you really didn't have a choice in is different than committing a crime as an adult and having to have some type of penalty for it but it's interesting that the just the language because i think the modern day slavery is one that we that we use okay so we talked a little bit about the emancipation proclamation the u.s man act of 1910 um and what was the u.s man act of 1910 remind me oh, uh, what sorry. that is uh, it pretty much banned the transportation of human beings across the United States for prostitution as well as debauchery. Okay, and so it's uh, it's uh, it's at the federal level in the U.S. because it's talking about interstate. Yeah, exactly. Uh, got it's it. more like an interstate. Thing. And what has there been attempts more recently, say in the mm -hmm. last fifteen or twenty mm -hmm. years? So uh, the most important one after that probably wasn't uh, as early as the two thousands with the Victims of Trafficking and Violence uh, and Violence Protection Act. That uh, pretty much made it, made it illegal to recruit, harbor, transport, provide, or obtain a person under the age of 18 years for the purpose of commercial sex. Um, after, that, there was, uh, an, after the implementation of that act, many states followed through with that too, mm -hmm. implemented acts uh, on their own that uh, sort of fell in that uh, mold. And this uh, act pretty much was ratified over the years, the latest, uh, the that is being ratified by President Bush and President Obama. And yeah, after that, pretty much the California Transparency uh, and, and Supply and Chains Act and from 2011 comes to mind. Mm -hmm. That's the legislature that uh, declared the intent uh, to ensure that large retailers and manufacturers provide consumers with information regarding their efforts to eradicate slavery and human trafficking from the supply chains, which pretty much means that you have to educate your consumers about mm -hmm. What your product contains and under which circumstances the product came to into existence. And is there any evidence that you came across that uh, you sort of highlighted the Victims of Trafficking Violence Act of 2000 as kind of being a uh, the first big legislation in some time? Is there has there been evidence yet of whether or not it's been successful in deterrence? Or do I didn't we know really that look into that to be honest. Uh -huh. but I know that it raised a lot of awareness. Yeah, because I know now that I, I uh, in traveling, you see it in the airports a lot. For example, like trying to raise general awareness of keeping an eye out for people who might exhibit uh, uh, signs of victimization. Right. So, um, where are we now with this issue? Kind of covered a, a brief 10,000 foot view of the history of slavery and human trafficking in the U.S. Um, and um, it still remains an issue, right, despite these efforts. So we're kind of where are we in this now? I think like in I would say I'll, I'll call it our generation, our time, uh, there were really two pieces of legislation that that, that started a national conversation mm -hmm. and I would say also started a, a serious national conversation. The first one was the Trafficking Victims Protection Authorization Act, which kind of involved a comprehensive approach to solving this problem, right? So okay. it it talked about, it was a, it, it expanded and, and defined 
what human trafficking was, right? So all the different types. Mm -hmm. um, and we focus clearly on to the sex trafficking and the labor trafficking. But it also talked of, it also addresses the the holistic approach to dealing with survivors, right? Um, and then also um, prohibits the United States government from pro providing any type of funds to countries that actually use child uh, laborers or soldiers, mm -hmm. right? So that kind of got the, the conversation going. The second piece. And when was uh, the, do you remember when that was passed? I believe that was 2000. Okay. Yes. Right. Okay. The second one was the Justice for Victims of Trafficking Act. Uh, which highlights a problem that it, it's mainly been focused on just the issue of human trafficking and we 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 weren't so much focused on the victims of it, right? Mm -hmm. So the second act, um, it enhanced the victim services and increased training for federal uh, personnel to essentially uh, learn how to handle victims. And so that's, I hadn't thought, I mean, it seems like the victims are a big, piece of this we're talking about prevention was kind of where my mind was as we sat down to talk about this but um it's also clear that given the numbers that we really need to be worried about the victims as well and so when you say a kind of a holistic approach is it trying to provide some services like rather than treating the victims as criminals and uh kind of forcing them to serve time for sex crimes for example are we are there what what types of things are we doing to try to um, protect the victims well it's a multifaceted approach one of them is just being able to um, make sure that they have enough care because like there's such legislation as safe harbor laws and so what the idea of safe harbor laws is say like for something like sex trafficking they're not seen as oh these people are prostituting but these are actual victims so rather than sending them to jail like being able for them to be rehabilitated mm -hmm. because they, you know they're it's such a traumatic experience where you know they have like the human traffickers that are saying you you can't go to the police because they're gonna you know they're gonna hurt you and so to like reinforce that like lie is dangerous so just being able to make sure they get the, the proper help is very important um, yeah I also think that this is where nonprofits play a big role in solving this problem um, extending the scope of helping the victims kind of reassimilate into society. So there are a lot of nonprofits, uh, both in Texas and that operate nationally, that help victims with job trainings, with getting counseling from trauma. Um, and the, there's also nonprofits that are more on the prevention side, like Truckers Against Trafficking, that leverage truckers' time and travel throughout the United States to um, have like a hotline to see when there are symptoms and signs of people being trafficked mm -hmm. at train stops and things like that. One point that I found interesting in dealing with the victims is that the United States Citizenship and Immigration Services, USCIS, uh, that agency basically is now working with various law, law enforcement organizations to protect and empower victims, right? But it's protecting and empower victims regardless of whether they're here uh, um, legally mm -hmm. or not. So it's it's going back to that human dimension that you brought up earlier in the conversation. So they're providing services to them independent of their citizenship status. Yes. Uh, excellent. Yeah. So there's this is nonprofits are playing in this space. Governments are playing in this in this space. Is there are there other examples of uh, is are is it all at the federal level? I mean, I know we're talking a little bit about Texas, but is our states kind of engaged in this as well? Um, right. So we mainly focused on Texas. That is because it is one of the four hotspots in the United States. And specifically looking at Houston, it's the number one um, city for human trafficking. Whereas um, because of... Not a very nice title. Houston have. <laughs> I know. Not, I not, know. A great, not a great title down in Houston. Right. Okay. But we looked at like legislation from the Texas level and they just uh, appointed someone who is going to be in charge of um, like more legislation towards human trafficking, which is a huge win for Texas. And then we also looked at um, certain nonprofits in the Houston area. One was United Against Human Trafficking and they have the mission to educate um, people on what's going on through law enforcement trainings and it also aims to advocate for the victim so they're kind of taking the 
um, law enforcement part and the advocacy for the victims approach. Mm-hmm. Are there other other? Did you look into any other states? Are there other yes. players? Go ahead. Yeah. Um, California um, has made some efforts to toughen human trafficking. Um, in 2000, well, actually, in fall of 2009, there was a first attempt by an organization called California Against Slavery to toughen the laws against human trafficking. Um, just to kind of give you the ideas of the context of why the laws needed to be changed, at a minimum sentencing, someone who was guilty of human trafficking could potentially get three or four years at a minimum, which is kind of weird for something mm-hmm. such an intense to violate someone's freedom by force, fraud, or coercion. So there was this lady named Daphne Fung who literally just like watched the MSNBC documentary about the issue. And she like heard this horrible story about the two guys who um, hurt 16 women and got like seven and 14 years. One person got seven and 14 years. That's less than 16 and they affected 16 women. Mm-hmm. So they tried to like make a ballot initiative uh, by, you know, we the people type of situation. Didn't work out in that first attempt, but then the second attempt in 2012 was successful because it was a effort to galvanize the public of California to be able to um, stand up for human rights. So it's, it's kind of shocking to me actually that the punishment for human trafficking is that light, um, which seems like an issue. Has some of this legislation at the federal level been addressing that? Has it part of it been do we know? I mean, has part of it been trying to uh, deter through harsher punishment, or um, is that is that kind of a known issue that you just don't get punished that much uh, for trafficking other humans? Do we know? It's a process because typically you have some sort of groundbreaking legislation. It's like okay, let's make sure that we get this passed, and then we'll see what the effects are and try and like incrementally improve it. And so, in some cases, you have efforts being made at the federal level, you know, slowly but surely. Because, um, like, you know, the different itinerations with the traffic, TVPA is now the TVPRA Reauthorization Act. And they're actually working on it right now for the, the current reauthorization. Then even at the state levels, because you have you could have several different states. So, for example, California has the California Supply Chains Act dealing with, you know, um, companies and dealing with their, their, you know, involvement in labor trafficking. But then certain other states might have that. And then, like, Texas could like appoint like someone in charge of like uh, overseeing issues relating to human trafficking within the state, but then some other states might not have that. And so it's just kind of like the the double-edged sword to having like states be the laboratories of democracy. And, good. and, and another problem here is I think another big problem that human trafficking is such a broad term and it makes it tough to make a to, give a, to hand out universal punishments. Say, how do you differentiate between uh, sexual traffic, uh, sex traffic trafficking or like human trafficking where somebody works in a restaurant without mm-hmm. pay. So it makes it all the more complicated just because the problem is so big and oftentimes human trafficking doesn't only uh, start in the US and then happens in the US, it can start globally because it's a global issue. Mm-hmm. So that makes it all the more complicated. So yeah, I think it's a it's a good point thinking through the, the nuances because you might imagine that um, sex crime should be different than labor crimes, um, and how we would want to think about that. Um, it's 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 interesting to me that the the human trafficking, the punishments for that um, don't seem to be particularly severe. Um, now, uh, you mentioned that the Traffic Victims Protections Reauthorization Act is going through reauthorization right now. Yes. And so where where is uh, where is that in the process? As far as my uh, last time I checked, it was introduced. It's more like it has to go through, you know, the different phases of, of being read. And I know that currently, you know, Congress has you know certain priorities that they're they're dealing with, like as far as end of the year legislation and you know stuff mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, they'll get around to it. It's just like they have to. Um, I'll just, I'll just leave that there. <laughs> okay, so are there other things that that listeners should know about players involved in this space? Uh, players is a weird way to put that, but stake people involved in this space, actors involved in this space, or anything along the international or national or local approaches to that are currently in place to address this that we should 
discuss before kind of moving on to some of the potential solutions? You know, I, we talk about at the federal level or at the national level, uh, some of these, these these acts are, are they're they're designed to to try to uh, to hold people accountable, right? Um, mm -hmm. And and yes, they start that conversation uh, at the national level, but it it's seemingly so that it a lot of this effort needs to be pushed at, to the state level. Um, Houston, New York City. Los Angeles, Miami, you think that those are large metropolitan cities. Um, some of them are close to an international border, so you're like, okay, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But uh, Miami is not necessarily close to an international border. Um, it, it's, so it, it seems like the federal government is wanting the states to take ownership of this problem within their own areas and then you know, uh, push that down. At the national level, there's only 68, there's a $68 million budget for this at the national level, right? Um, and, and each state has a different amount of money that they're willing to put towards it. The last figure I saw from the state of Texas was $4.3 million, which $1.3 million went to the city of Houston because that's one of the major hubs here in Houston. But, I think that's a really good point you make, um, which is that this isn't a lot of on-the-ground tackling of problems in the U.S. isn't done at the federal level. It's something we've, we've talked about together, which is the federal government's often funding some of these things, but the actors involved and in implementing things within states is usually the state actors. Mm -hmm. And so as part of this, I think to, uh, to your point, it's really important not to just think about this at the federal level, because there is a lot of variation across uh, what different states are doing. And those are often the actors that are like on the ground doing the governing in the, in this, in the states. And I think it's also important to note like, how prevalent it is in just like places where you're from. So if you look at Los Angeles, San Francisco, um, San Diego, uh, they're like three of the highest um, reported uh, er or the areas where uh, with the highest reporting of uh, child sex trafficking. Mm -hmm. And um, like if we bring it back into Texas, um, Dallas, uh, the Dallas Fort Worth area where I'm from, um, they uh, they're about 15% of the national human trafficking hotline calls. Mm -hmm. And so for me, like growing up, I'd never like would have even imagined that. So mm -hmm. I think it's just important for the public to know to like, be aware. Um, and aware like this is happening in your back door. And a lot of um, issues that uh, the government has with all these kind of reporting is that it is an illegal act. And so stuff isn't being reported and they fear for the areas where they don't get any reportings of human trafficking because it's not that it's not happening in those areas. It's just it's not being reported. Mm -hmm. And there's just a lack of knowledge and misinformation about this just scope even in Texas. And um, if I can give more numbers, mm, um, specifically in Texas, the University of Texas um, produced an incredible report that gave numbers of, of trafficking um, in Texas. And there are, you know, within in 2016, it was reported that there were 313,000 victims of human trafficking, both sex and labor. But 234,000 victims were victims of labor trafficking. So labor is, it was much larger. Um, there are many more victims of labor trafficking. Um, there were 79,000 victims of, that were, who were minors and youth. Um, and these numbers, like, it's, it's generating a $600 million industry just in Texas. And these victims, unfortunately, are costing the state of Texas money. They're costing mm -hmm. the state of Texas $6.6 billion. And that's from health services whenever a victim is physically abused, whether it's in their job, they're performing, um, being coerced into, and it's social services that these labor victims are. It's construction workers, it's farm workers, it's kitchen workers who are being abused. And then, um, so there are service jobs that everyone enjoys going to a restaurant, having someone build a home or a, a building, whatever it may be, um, you know, that whenever someone's physically abused or hurt, they have to, and they don't have insurance, they go to emergency rooms and they're costing um, health services money. And then um, if a woman or child is coerced into sex to prost or prostitution, um, they can be assumed that you know this is illegal, and they can be taken into law by law enforcement and costing the state money just to be there. Um, but they were forced to be there, you know, to prostitute themselves in the first place. So um, it is a problem of just 
lack of knowledge of the scope and um, how it's who it's being affected. And, it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of staggering, yeah. right? I mean, the, the numbers are, um, I mean, it's not, um, it's not a small amount of people that are affected yeah. by this, just even within the state where we currently reside, right, in Texas. I mean, like Paula is, said, we don't even know if that, that's not even the accurate number. Like, there's, it's the best we can get. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, well, okay. So, I mean, sometimes when you're, there are different points in these conversations that, like, you, know, you hear a lot of statistics and then occasionally they hit you and it's like, well, that's larger than all. I mean, right right now we're recording this in Bryan College Station, right? There are roughly 200,000 people that make up these two communities together. So you're talking about that and then some of every person in Bryan College Station mm-hmm. plus 100,000. Um, it's just crazy to think about the number of people and in particular the, to what we were talking about earlier, number of minors right this isn't i mean it's not like an not that we shouldn't have sympathy for these people but it's not like an adult that stumbled into things through some rough life choices i mean these are children right the people that we should really be dedicating resources in a society to protect we're not protecting right and so um why is it that this persists i mean is it is it profit-seeking motives is that what's going on here is it lacks is the regulation still really lax like what what's what's going on here i think um at the root of it it's an enterprise it's a business for people and uh it's supply and demand at the end of it um so there's people who come into it um to be trafficked i guess um because of just life situations that happen um whether like they are in a different country and they come over to the United States um, or they're brought over. Um, they, you know, either they think like, oh, I can get out eventually, I'll make a better living for myself. Like this gets me somewhere else. Um, and then on the like um, other side of it, there's people who come into it because yeah, they are seeking profits and they, they think, um, I don't know what they think, right? But it's cheap labor, Yeah. right? I mean, if you don't pay them, and you're forced to be there. It's not like you have to compete in a labor market, right? right. And so, um, the co- it keeps the cost of labor really low, I would think. Yeah, and so for them, it's you know, it's a smart business move. Mm-hmm. And yeah, one article I read, it it was interviewing an ex pimp, and he was saying that it was easier for him to sell a person several times in one night for for sex, rather than selling drugs, where it's like your merchandise is gone in one mm-hmm. one cell, which is shocking. But it's that was his yeah. yeah, that was his motivation behind selling people versus drugs. Mm-hmm. Because people are renewable resources. That's something that um, there have been several Netflix documentaries that um, kind of discuss human trafficking and the problems and part of it of sex trafficking is that it's economical. A body um, is a renewable resource. It's the same way in like why slavery was an economic resource, right? Mm-hmm. Once you owned a person, mm-hmm. the, the lifetime of their productivity is pretty high, right? They can work day in and day out. And that's like pretty much like a prevalent thing even right now for certain like, not saying companies, but maybe some employers who think like, I have to make this one-time payment to like someone who smuggles people and, say, uh, uh, and like, connects me with those people, so I have to pay them one time, then pretty much after that they work for me for free. Mm-hmm. And I can exploit them as much as I want to. And if you, uh, just like if you take that away and make it, make, make it more costly for them to not do it, like say by making the punishments more severe, you can, you can like lower that number by a lot. Yeah, I mean, this is something that, that we all together have talked about, which is changing the cost structure for the decision maker right and so um, if you raise the cost of playing in this market if you raise the cost of someone who wants to make money in this their expected outcome by raising the punishments then arguably that has some deterrent role right Um, okay so it sounds like a pretty intractable problem how do we make some progress on this? What did you come up with as uh, some solutions? Some multifaceted approach that's going to take all hands on deck, people at every level 
So you have uh, policymakers, you have law enforcement, you have people uh, dealing with laws, uh, overseeing laws like courts and lawyers, and then public people. Just like uh, speaking of demand and the issue of labor trafficking, we need to have people who are educated like these products um, might um, have a supply chain that's tainted, so we need to avoid these products. We need to petition um, these companies to um, be proactive about where, where they're getting their labor from. And then also just like um, with the issue of sex trafficking, I know that some states like Minnesota have like a John school to educate people who are trying to, to pay for, you know, obviously, you know, sex that, hey, you know, there's some sex trafficking victims who are here, you know, this is what you need to be aware of so that you don't like avoid this. So just like empowering the public. One of my favorite stories is a story about Kimberly M in, um, San Clemente, California. She heard about the issue and like like most people, it's kind of like, what can I do about this? Or like, what's my role in this? Like she, she learned more about the issue and she told her friends about it. And that started a conversation. So they realized like what their uh, skills are, like what they had to offer. And so they had through a wine and cheese place called The Cellar, they would like once a month have post events that would talk about this issue. And so just by like, Kimberly uh, Yim, like using her voice and using um, her circle of influence, she was able to create a group that educated the public. So creative ways of raising awareness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What else? So I kind of the three things that we looked at was awareness, legislation, mm -hmm. and rehabilitation, right? Mm -hmm. So on the on the awareness side, it's it's a it's a strategic communications message, I think, from the federal government that that translates down to the state governments because they're gonna they're gonna be at the second part, which is the legislation, which to me translates to the whole enforcement part, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? So that's um, and it's it's that training that we spoke about on the law enforcement side of being able. It's it's not only how you handle the victims, it's how you recognize the victims on the front side. It's mm -hmm. how you prevent it from going that way to begin with, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and then lastly, with on the rehabilitation side, um, you, you've got to have the appropriate amount of funding. You've got to have the education out there that, that, that the rehabilitation is, is simply available. Um, and it, it's a different, it should be and must be a different mindset. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that uh, one of the things I like about what you've highlighted here is there's not a, this is a pretty complex problem, right? There's not just one. It's one of the themes that's coming up as, uh, as I've been talking with people about major public issues is it's not just one thing we need to be doing. There's a whole host of things. Um, one thing that, uh, that you said, Neil, that uh, made me think of um, an issue related to this is so one of the things that I care about in study is administration. So, you know, we have these uh, laws, these new regulations, but how well are they administered? How well are they enforced, for example? And so one thing that I, I know with some other issues that I've come across, even when you can get the legislation right, some of these types of educational programs, some of these types of programs helping victims are just drastically underfunded. I mean, one, one example that, uh, that we have all talked about is for exa example, the Veterans Health Administration, right? I mean, so we have veterans who come home who are in some ways victims of war, right? In the way and the consequences it has on their health and their body. And we don't fund these things to the level that they need to be funded to. Or they're not handled in a way to make sure that people, that, that veterans get access to the help they need, even though legislatively, they should be able to have access to those things. And so I wonder, did did you look into um, how well these how well the enforcement is going? I mean, is it that we made these high grandstanding laws, but then they didn't ever really put any money behind it, or have states started to put some money behind these efforts, or or is that something you looked into? I think that's where the city of Houston is kind of leading the charge. Texas is leading the charge by appointing the director that Madeline spoke of earlier. Mm -hmm. But the city of Houston is putting it out there. They're putting it in radio spots. They put it out on TV. You see it out on the billboards with the message of we're doing something about mm -hmm. it. Yeah, and, I, and, and, you, and, you, and you see it in and around the airport as well. I mean, I think that's where I've seen you see signs. So there's certainly 
getting the awareness piece out there because it drew my attention not having looked into not being aware of this issue to, to, to me a priority translates to effort and mm -hmm. if, if it is a is a priority from the mayor's office in Houston he's got an actual page on the mayor office webpage about human trafficking so mm -hmm. it's it's a city priorities so that's going to translate I have to believe it translates into effort with the first responders uh, and the police department. You literally just hit what I was going to say. <laughs> literally. You the same wavelengths <laughs> going on around the table today. Well, I also think with Hurricane Harvey happening, the people are more vulnerable in after natural disasters, so the increase of human trafficking is very likely. And so after that, there has been a lot of um, news articles within Houston of encouraging the, the citizens to be aware of that mm -hmm. as well. So that's another step that Houston is taking, especially after Hurricane Harvey. Yeah, I, I would say one of the unsung heroes um, would be the nonprofits, is that they're, they don't get, um, I won't say credibility, but they, they come to the table with a lot of experience and background in this problem set. Um, but I, I think that needs to be part of the conversation, definitely be part of the solution. It, it's gotta be most, part of the solution if the funding is not there, right? Um, but um, there certainly there is a uh, is an attribute, is a is a tool for, you know, the metropolitan city leadership, police department, et cetera. Yeah, I, mean, I think nonprofits have to be a player in this space. I mean they're much more adaptive and be much more creative than government programs. And to your point, I think and sort of what I was getting at with the enforcement piece of this is sounds like we need to find ways to dedicate more resources to this. I mean, there are nonprofits in this space. Houston's trying to be in the space and proactive, but just having access to enough resources to to drive those things, I think, is is probably an underlying issue as well. And only to the point of uh, raising further awareness is that you can only like uh, raise awareness on a national level. You all also have to work together uh, uh, along with other countries where a lot of uh, People who are being uh, who are being victims of human traffic are coming from like I don't know Bolivia or Mexico or mm -hmm. countries from Eastern Europe that you mm -hmm. have to work together with them to increase awareness there because oftentimes there's this false uh, piece of uh, state of mind that people still believe in the United States uh, uh, giving them the best shot to have a good life and that way they get lured into being and falling. Uh, Find to be a victim of human traffic, so mm -hmm. you have to increase awareness in those countries too. It's a little bait and switch sometimes, yeah. Particularly being promised great opportunities because America has been perceived as a land of opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, um, okay, other solutions that you covered that we that we've missed that would be important for listeners to hear about. Um, yes. So Ian Yaomon and Michelle Mars wrote a futuristic paper theorizing that sex bots can help combat human trafficking mm -hmm. because they substitute the human supply. I would personally take this further and like weaponize sex bots to kill the demand. However, there has been no actual study or research into sex bots helping in human trafficking since they are such a new development. Mm -hmm. And there's also been a lot of critiques such as the MIT Tech technology review argues human trafficking is not about sex it's about power and control the uncal uh, uncanny valley effect realistic looking robots creep most people out most victims of human traffic human trafficking are children so there's like ethical and moral concern of creating children bots for sexual purposes and there's also a worry about sex bots being a gateway drug to human trafficking mm -hmm. yeah i think that's a um, an interesting point with, because um, you know we talk about humans. Um, we're talking about humans this way, but being sort of a renewable um, product in these markets, right? And so one thing that uh, robots or sex bots could do, if they were realistic enough and simulated the experience well enough. They could be a substitute, right? They could they could be a substitute in demand for um, sex trafficking as a specific piece. One other one that um, that we didn't talk about, but you know, you mentioning that makes me think of is I wonder what types of industries uh, like construction, for example, are 
that have forced labor, human trafficking from the labor side, which is what we talked about as being you know, the, the biggest piece, are being automated. I wonder at what point automation and technology um, and artificial intelligence um, and robots starts to substitute and be even cheaper than, uh, than human actors. Um, because you might imagine, for example, 3D printing being one. Like uh, there's a lot of potential, as I understand it, 3D printing for construction work. And that, in some ways, that's bad for the labor market because people who do construction then maybe don't have that job anymore. But on the flip side of that, uh, automating some of these industries and technologizing some of these industries might also have this the effect of decreasing the demand for illegal um, um, uh, labor, and so I don't know. Then it'll be interesting to see does that does that sort to does that start to decrease the prevalence of forced labor? Does it then increase the prevalence of then if people don't have access to those types of jobs in forced labor? That then more people are forced into um, this uh, sex slave trade, for example. So it's it's there's, with all the moving pieces, it will be interesting to see uh, how this stuff is disrupted by what are as a continual barrage of new technologies and new tools. Going back to the previous question, two levels: one international and one on the, the grassroots ground level. Um, there's a recent initiative that actually passed. Um, 2016 through Congress called the In Modern Slavery Initiative. And it kind of does what PEPFAR did for AIDS, a public-private partnership to deal with the funding and addressing the issue. Um, the In Modern Slavery Initiative has um, the United States government um, give grant money for something of a fund, an international fund. Um, I believe $25 million was given out this year and the UK matched it, but it's uh, with like 25 million and eventually the hopes is for other people to join in as well. So that's kind of like an international addressing of the issue collaboratively. And as far as the ground level goes, like knowing, like, because you see something say something is usually associated with terrorism, but also could be applied with trafficking. Like you look at truckers against traffic, tra truckers against trafficking, and then leveraging like where they're at to like let people know, um, like by contacting the human trafficking hotline, which is 1-888-3737-888. And by contacting that number, it's able to give information to the proper, proper law enforcement. There was a case um, in 2009, around 2009, with a girl named Shima. She was a labor trafficking victim, and quick tangent, labor trafficking sometimes is hard to detect because sometimes it's on a smaller scale, because typically um, sex trafficking is like networking, like on a larger scale. That was in the report by Schaffner in, I believe, 2014. Uh, but anyways, back to Shima. Like, she was in a garage and she was like kept there to like, just to like be a slave for that family. You know, like that's horrible, but it's because a neighbor noticed that, that they called the proper authorities and mm -hmm. she was able to get rescued out of there. So just by being aware of your surroundings and, and using your voice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think a big piece of this is just awareness. I mean, until I started seeing the signs in airports, I was just completely oblivious that this was as prevalent of an issue as it is, like the just the amount of it. You kind of know, you have suspicions that slavery is still out there and that you know sex trafficking is kind of a thing. I mean, I think you hear about those things, but the the, the, the amount of it is, 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 is staggering. Um, so, okay, this one's tough, right? I mean, this one's tough. I think that uh, I, I like the creativity you have here with thinking about different types of solutions. And kind of categorizing them um, across things like awareness um, and rehabilitation and enforcement. I think those are really nice kind of lenses to think about this. Um, is there anything else? We're getting kind of on the 45 minute mark. Is there anything else about this you'd like to leave the listeners with? Just to kind of empower people because sometimes people can see a problem and feel like I can't do it. That's kind of a half truth because you can't do it by yourself all at once. It takes a while. Like for the case of British abolitionists, it took them 26 years just to ban the slave trade in 1807, or over 20 years, and then 26 more to ban slavery altogether in 1833. I think that it's important for people to kind of take it step by step. One of them is a one, two, three approach. Um, um, just by like 
calling a representative about the issue that could take about one minute Two, like maybe just try and educate yourself about the issue over two weeks and then maybe in three months maybe just tell friends or tell the community about it other approach is just kind of looking at it like four, four letters lean learn more about the issue educate people within your circle of influence advocate legislators and in his network because the more people work together on this the better we're able to fight these problems because you look at like the nonprofits that were discussed that was because people are working together to um, protect their backyards and protect the communities at large. Yeah, that's some really good um, good pieces of advice. Thank you, sir. Other things anyone else would like to add? I think Slater hit, hit it really well. Just I think every, anyone can um, help with this problem and this initiative to fight this um, this global problem. Um, and it's just a matter of paying attention and willingness to try. Yeah, I think this is one in particular, given the nature of it, that awareness and community approach to it is really, really important because of the because of the inherent market for human um, labor. Um, I think this is going to be one that continues to be an issue, and so um, I think the emphasis again on the the culture around it is an awareness of it is really important. There is one important. Uh, piece about it um, and we, we said the phrase if you see something say something right mm -hmm. so I, I would I would offer from a safety standpoint yes if you detect a trafficking uh, you know a human trafficking situation it's important for you not to intervene physically mm -hmm. but no Perfect. kidding um, say something yeah to the appropriate authorities yeah it sounds pretty simple but it is uh, I mean it does take those types of behaviors to catch this, particularly given limitations on enforcement everywhere, right? And so I think um, uh, I, I, it's well taken that for those of you listening, as you, one thing that you can easily do is that if you are aware of any of these situations, reporting them. Um, any last other words? Uh, just one quick final thought. I'm not surprised you want the last word, sir. Sorry, you gotta be honest. I'm not surprised you want the last word. It's just um, really passionate about this issue. Like, um, I actually had a friend from college who was a sex trafficking victim. And mm -hmm. Just uh, it hits home for me, and I just uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the the real. It's hard to overstate the real human cost of this, um, and it is one that's kind of surprising that we don't we don't really talk about it. it's like we don't want to admit that it happens here here broadly being in the u.s right and so i really appreciate you um drawing attention to this um i hope you as the listener out there have found this um informative and in uh, if not enjoyable at least informative um to um to this issue and uh, i hope that you also kind of do your part uh, when you are made aware of human trafficking situations to speak out and say something I think this is a clear example where uh, everyone can kind of play a role in this. So um, thanks again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.